0: Happy birthday and happy new year Dave.
1: Yeah, yeah, we should have got a cake. Yeah, we should have got a cake. Or yeah. I should have got a cake anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So what what happened?
0: Uh so this is the first anniversary of the dgshow.org domain. So we've been doing this for just over a year now.
1: Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So you you renewed the domain name, I guess.
0: I d- I did. Yeah, and and I renewed it. Yeah, that's like
1: <laughs> Are are you going month to month or <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
0: no no uh renewed the domain name and it's a and it's a new year for us as well we just ended our fiscal year on friday
1: yeah yeah it's uh did did you make any uh, resolutions
0: um yeah yeah this year uh as as is every year uh i resolved to uh make my number
1: mm-hmm yep. yep Yep. good
0: Excellent. it's really the only only resolution worth making yes. <laughs> for the fiscal yeah,
1: year I'd be resolved to do it
0: yeah <laughs> so what, what's a, new with you
1: well um yeah. So like, it's always every year for me, you know, it's like, I was checking up on the pricing for my, uh, Uverse subscription and, and I was like, you know, you know how it is. Like every year it seems like the, you know, the cable companies or whoever they want to jack the prices up and it's like, I want to keep an eye on it. So I'm not surprised. So I call them up and, uh, they're like, Oh, what's well, it's gonna, you know, you had a temporary promotion that goes away and it goes up by five bucks a month. And I'm like, okay, big deal. And then, um, they're like, well, you know, for the same amount of money for, uh, you know, it's like for the first six months, uh, it'll be, you know, we could upgrade you from 12 megabit to 18 megabits per second. Um, and then, uh, but we could, uh, but then after that, it'd be like five bucks more a month. And I'm like, yeah, okay, let's try it out. And I figure I could throttle it back if I want. And then, um, I was, uh, you know they're like oh well we got to do some tests to see if you know it's elig- eligible in your area and everything and then um and then it it was like I got an email from AT&T on my phone I look at my phone and it's like oh your upgrade is complete and all of a sudden it's like poof my internet was just gone <laughs> and and it was it was like literally to the minute like I'm looking at the email and then the internet was just gone and I don't know about you, but it's like working from home. If you don't have internet, I just start to panic, right? When and yeah, you yeah. do all your streaming over the internet, like I didn't have a chance to fill the bathtubs with anything or any, you know, it was, it was like <laughs> out. And um, and you know, it was, so it's like, all right, well, I can't work. Well, maybe I'll watch Netflix. And oh no, I can't do that. And, well, Hulu, no. And and so it's like, you know, I calm myself down and everything, and I I, I talk to I talk to them. Um, They and uh, they're like, well. Uh, so i don't know what happened it's like i don't know if they they did the upgrade and then it blew out the the router box or or what um but then it's like i i was ended up talking to the guy for like 45 minutes so, oh did you unplug it replug it in going back and forth super nice guy um and then they're like well we could send out a new box to you and it'll arrive on sunday and this was like i don't know Tuesday. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, to be uh, out no on starter. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, what other options do I have? And they were like saying yeah, UPS will deliver it on Sunday. And I'm like, okay. And, and so well, what are my other options? And they're like, well, we could have somebody come out the house. And, um, and I'm like, well, when can that happen? And they're like, well, anytime we could schedule it for this afternoon, anytime between noon and four. And it was like 1215. I'm like, yeah, sold. Let's do it. Yeah. And, uh, and then they're like, well, it could be, you know, if, if we find out that it's a problem and, you know, it's like, well, you know, it's like if the, the box is broken, they're going to charge me $100 for a new box to like upgrade it. And um, and or, you know, it's like $150 charge to have the guy come out and everything. And then I'm like, let's just get it fixed. And then I'll we'll, I'll argue with people later or whatever, let's just let's just get it mm-hmm. fixed. We'll figure out what's going on. Um, and so the repair guy came out. Plugged in a new box, got it up and going, and uh, I'm like, oh, okay, well, cool, and and it was like tip top, and and I'm like, all right, well, so do I have to buy a new box because you put a new box on there? And it's like, no, no big deal. It's like we're we're here to you know, it's like we want to make sure people are taken care of, and the guy actually gave me his cell phone number um, because I guess there's like, they're like hyper sensitive about bad feedback because like if I get a survey and I I do anything. If I give him anything less than a ten, he has to have a meeting with his manager. So this guy was like, like he's like, here, this is my personal cell phone number. You call me anytime for the next thirty days, and you know, don't even, don't even call um, AT and T. Just go, go right to me, and we'll straighten you out. I'm like, so how start. much
0: of that do you think is a how much did he, how much of that is a ruse on his part? Um, like he's giving you a sob story about his manager uh, yeah. to make sure that he gets tens, or how much do you think he? Because I can't imagine they set the standard that high. Where, like, oh, I got to get hauled into my boss's office if I get anything less than a 10. That seems, uh, that seems like a great way to get some really unreliable quality data, right? Yeah,
1: or you get, or it's, maybe it's not, he doesn't get yelled at, but maybe he gets, if he gets all 10s, then he gets, like, a bonus in his paycheck sort of thing. Right, right, right. But needless to say, I got an upgraded box, uh, for no charge. It's actually smaller, um, and, uh. Got faster internet, so I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty happy. That's
0: great. That's great. Did you, now, um, it, it, Google Fiber just announced a, a bunch of new cities. Oh, uh, that it kills me. To... Yeah. yeah, I was wondering whether you were on the list or oh,
1: in Ohio? No, no.
0: So, you, so you would definitely go for Google Fiber if it was
1: available in your area. Well, it seems like for the money, it would be like uh, like silly not to, wouldn't it? Because mm-hmm. it, it's pretty reasonably priced, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think it is. I think it is, and i, I uh-huh. think that I mean at least their model is probably closer to like the Amazon model of keep you know faster speeds, lower prices as opposed to oh well, your terms up like the cable company's jacking it up every year, you know mhm mm-hmm. interesting yeah no i would I would jump all over that. I saw that um yeah, that what like Raleigh and that whole area they're like they're they're putting Google Fiber in there, and it's like, oh, I'm so jealous,
0: yeah, we're getting it this year, yeah. Um, so and it we're already seeing AT&T already cut their prices in anticipation of Google Fiber coming into the market. That's um, that's great. That's what competition yeah, does, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah.
0: And, Are you listening FCC?
1: <laughs> well, yeah. And and you look at all the like uh, you know other countries and all that where it's what is it? South Korea, it's like mm-hmm. gigabit fiber to like your cell phone, you know. It's like like, <laughs> right. like crazy, crazy, crazy speeds, right? Like and and yeah. And, um, you know, you hear all the stories about the uh, United States being sort of like ranked uh, pretty far down in terms of broadband accessibility and speeds and all that. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah,
0: that's right. Um, so, well, speaking of, uh, speaking of broadband and uh, how essential the Internet is to one's life, um, mm-hmm. I made a terrible discovery. Uh, so I got my wisdom teeth out about two weeks ago um, and I'm still recovering from it. Um, but during my recovery, you know, they give you the great pain pills and mm-hmm. your jo- your job is to lay in bed and get better gums. Right. And yes. so all you're supposed to do is sit there and watch television basically. Right. Um, so I was, I was getting, I was like, sweet. I'm going to sit down with my, my new laptop. I'm going to, I'm going to catch up on season three, of game of Thrones and boom, I'm told that, uh, I am not allowed to watch game of Thrones because my, uh, my display is not HC, uh, is not like DRM compliant. Oh, yeah. HTCP yeah. compliant. Yep,
1: yep, yep.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting because I was watching it on my laptop with nothing plugged in.
1: Right. So oh, this laptop wow. this, So it's not yeah. like you're going through some DVI adapter and out. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. Nothing. Nothing fancy at all. Just the you know a three week old laptop LCD screen um, was L- apparently yeah. not HTTP compliant. And it's
1: an Apple. And you were watching that out of iTunes, right? So you mm-hmm. would think that sure you was. would have that full integrated experience.
0: Yeah, yeah, it that's has right. To be. So it has to be but has to be a bug, right? So Apple's good enough they they are in fact going to swap the laptop out for me, um which is very nice of them. Um yeah. uh, and in fact the least they could do. But uh I I that kind of drove home for me like uh, that I thought the DRM war was over. Um but you know mostly from my experience with music, right, where like mm-hmm. most of the music you download now uh, comes unencumbered. Uh yeah. By DRM, because they figured out that um, you actually buy more music if it's not encumbered. Yeah. Um, that kind of thinking hasn't quite made its way over to the video folks. Yep. Um, and instead of doubling down on this like profoundly broken system, where kind of one faulty laptop is going to prevent me from watching, you know, my entire library of shows, uh, I decided to um, uh, I decided to defect. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, had an, I had an act of defiance. And immediately ordered myself a Chromecast, mm. uh, which which arrived today. In fact, oh, uh, so I haven't I have unboxed it, but um, yeah. I can't wait to try it out tonight. Nice, see what that's like. Obviously, still DRM encumbered, but yep. um, maybe they have a uh, uh, maybe they are less likely to uh, lock me out of my own stuff.
1: Yeah. Uh, so you you know what I watched this week? Hmm. What'd you see? Game of Thrones. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, but it was it was a blue Blu-ray off of uh, Netflix. So uh, oh, excellent. Yeah, excellent. So it was for for things like that, and I, I look at it too, like whether it's the Chromecast or I'm a huge fan of of Hulu. Um, not Hulu. Uh, well, I like Hulu, but I'm, uh, the Roku. I'm a huge fan mm-hmm. of, of the Roku. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think like nowadays, like I don't like. I'm sure there there. Well, I know there are plenty of people that they do all the BitTorrent and they they pull down shows and episodes and they have just terabytes of TV shows where it's like, I want to. I watch a show like once, maybe maybe twice. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. that's it. Um, so I'm not the type that would buy shows. I would rather, um, just, uh, you know, I, I very much like the Netflix sort of model where it's like, you know, watch whatever you want. Um, and you keep paying every month, uh, subscription model where, it, mm-hmm. and you can get yeah. whatever you want out of that catalog. And, and I, I like that a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a model. I, I, I prefer the Netflix, Netflix model, uh, a lot. Um, but, you know, for some of the stuff, well, and especially like Game of Thrones, I had to wait until season four was about to come out on, on broadcast before season three was made available online. I mean, just the, the way that they throttle the release of this stuff just doesn't make any sense. Um, Netflix definitely has, I'm not telling you anything you don't already mm-hmm. know, or anybody who listens doesn't already know, but like Netflix figured it out, right? Um, when you do, when you're releasing House of Cards, you release all of the House of Cards. Yep. Um, so that you can watch them all at once. Yeah. Um, it's just it's just a much easier way to consume stuff. Um I don't get any particular joy out of waiting a week for the next episode to show up.
1: Oh, and um, I forget. It's like what what happened? Yeah. And you know. Yeah. yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. Well and yeah, and, and for uh for the broadcaster's sake, you're right. Yeah, you do forget or you lose momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. As opposed to it's like, oh, I got House of Cards, I got ten episodes and it's like, all right, I'm eight into it. What's two more tonight? You know? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: Um. Yeah. So there's, anyway. Anyway. So I got this Chromecast. I'm excited to try it. Have you Have you played with one before?
1: I I I mean, for 35 bucks, I think that's like a cool giveaway for like you know I'm, trade shows and stuff yeah. like that. You know. Yeah. Um. You know, instead of like the cost of like giving away an iPad or something, where you know, mm-hmm. you can give away like 10 Chromecasts or more uh, for the for that cost. But for me, with the um the Roku, like I have the Roku 3, and it's I just love it. And um, it's like I have no reason to, to try out the Chromecast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but I'm sure the experience is similar.
0: Uh, I think it is. I think it is. That's right. Uh, so I don't know. We'll try it. I figure yeah, 35 That's it's basically disposable, right?
1: So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess one thing with the Chromecast is that you have to control it through your Android device. So that means that you've got to, like, unlock your phone or tablet to be able to use the remote control. Whereas like for me, the Roku remote control, it's like, boom, I have it there. And, and I, I can use a Roku app to, to act as a remote control, but I like having a physical remote control. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Although
0: I, I am enjoying using, uh, an iPad as a remote, um, yeah. for, cause I've got the controller for our, like the, uh, the AV box. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it controls the Apple TV that we've got. Um, Anyway, it'll be interesting to see how I how I end
1: up making all this stuff work.
0: But uh, all right, enough gear, enough gear talk. What what do we got the show today, Dave?
1: Oh, boy, we got a lot. We're going to talk about affordances. We're going to talk about partnerships and a bunch of reasons why Red Hat is a great place to work. Oh, nice. Excellent.
0: Um, And there are a lot of reasons that Red Hat is a great place to work aren't there.
1: We're going to enumerate them.
0: (laughs) That's right. We're going to yeah. lay them out for all to see. Yeah. So um, if folks uh, want to register their pleasure or displeasure with DRM, Apple, or uh, the Chromecast device, uh, where, where do they go on the website?
1: Yeah, well, they want to go to this domain that you uh, renewed, uh, and it's mm-hmm. called uh, dgshow.org. So these and Dave, G's and Gunner, show.org.
0: Nice. Um, and we've also got a great cutting room floor. Uh some some words about uh, Bitcoins uh, and Beanie Babies mm-hmm. uh, and the ways in which Bitcoins are like Beanie Babies, uh, especially timely now that we see that the Mountain Gox exchange uh, just collapsed yes. and filed bankruptcy after losing, what, like half a billion dollars in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, someone who wants to uh, teach civilization in school uh, and not lowercase c civilization, but capital C civilization, um, like the game of... of uh, the game of empire building and exploration, um, which is one of my personal favorites and I'm all for teaching in schools. So I was delighted to see this, see this article. Yes. Um, and, uh, Oh, and, and and you found an adorable video of a sugar glider.
1: Yes. Yes. I I can imagine like, I want to, I want to get a Guinea pig to do that. (laughs) Like, but but to be able to do it aerodynamically, like I wouldn't want to (laughs) like throw it like that, but to see like a Guinea pig glide, my, my wife, uh, I showed it to my wife and she was like, oh, you would so freak out. You know, if, if there was like this, you know, sh- sugar glider in the house and it, I'd be like screaming like a girl. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that's it. It's it's freaky. It's a bat without wings. Yes. And fur. Yeah. Yes.
1: Reminds me of that's Lee Kinzer. <laughs> he he does. Right. He does that.
0: Yeah, that, that, that's right. He, he, he leaps out of uh, he leaps out of airplanes like yeah. on purpose.
1: And he does mm-hmm. the, the glider suit thing. Oh, does he really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah.
0: Give me, give me some Google news, Dave.
1: Yeah. So they bought. A, so this is some follow up. Um, so they bought a company called Slick Login. It's a an Israeli company, um, and they are. Um, they're what they're trying to do is like you know how you do like one time passwords and things like that, where you got to like, <laughs> unlock your phone, you got to find a number, you know, the digit generator, you type it in. This way, um, you could actually use your computer speakers. Um, so it'll play uh, human and audible sound through the speakers and then you have an app on your smartphone, um, and it'll hear it and it'll pick up the audio and then, um, use that to be able to authenticate, uh, to websites and other, you know, doing that sort of login. Oh,
0: okay. Um. So, I mean, kind of technically interesting um, and because it's kind of a, a, a good use of that kind of ultrasonic, remember that we were talking about that, um, I've forgotten the name of it. Bad the, BIOS. Uh, bad BIOS attack, right? This is kind of a good use of that, you know, ultrasonic sound for communication. Mm-hmm. Fine. Okay. I get that. Uh, I, I'm not quite
1: sure what problem this is solving, though. Do you, yes. Do you, do you know? No. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, it's, well, it's like, oh, then now you think of all the the six-digit numbers you don't have to type in anymore. And <laughs> and it's like, how often do I do that? And then I could think of how it, the many ways it could probably not work. Like, what if you're on an airplane where it's essentially you're sitting inside a white noise generator? Right. Um, would that work? I don't know. Um, or, you know, do you, like to me, it's like even like with Google now, for me to get the microphone to activate, I need to like unlock it. You know, so I got to enter my passcode on my phone to unlock it to essentially start an app to start, you know, either listening, uh, to me and all that. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they just bought them for the patents. I don't know.
0: I, uh, that may be true. I can also imagine using it for something location specific, um, so that, uh, you have access to a website only if you are in this particular room, which plays this particular sound,
1: something like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could be that could be interesting. And uh, you can use a GPS to do that and and not uh, not allow you to access the computer like if all of a sudden what if your GPS says that, you know you're in a foreign country where you're usually not and maybe it would it would require you to do an extra layer of authentication.
0: Mhm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um or maybe it's like uh maybe if I'm walking into a Gap, into a Gap clothing store and I want to have I want people to have access to I don't know, whatever their account information and only if they hear the correct sounds coming through the overhead speakers in the gap store, can you get access to the app or something like that? I don't know. Yeah. Still, but it seems like so, there's so many limitations to a service like that. Um, I'm finding it difficult to, to come up with an, with a practical use. Well, well and
1: imagine not. like all kind of like dogs, like how, yeah. <laughs> you know, sugar gliders falling out of the sky. Yeah, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, exactly. Seizures. Yeah.
0: It's got to be a patent thing. It's got to be a patent thing. That's the, only, yeah. that's the only thing that makes sense. All right. Good. Um, oh, so there, there was an article in uh, Washington Exec, uh, the magazine there. Um, they had an interview with me um, talking about my job. I talked about OpenStack. Uh, but also they asked me actually about the David Gunner show.
1: Yeah, nice and, and you didn't like push it on him.
0: No, that's right. Yeah, no, n- not leading at all. They, they, they brought it up of their own, uh, of their own volition. Yeah. And uh, so they, so I got to tell the story of uh, how the Dave and Gunner show started. Um, yeah. So if folks are interested in, in the unlikely event that folks are interested in the history of the show, um, you can read the Dave and Gunner origin story um, yeah. on the Washington exec. We'll have a link in the show notes.
1: Yeah, they don't have to wait for the book. <laughs> that's right.
0: <laughs> the Kitty <laughs> Kelly book. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So what was this? There's another thing you have here that uh, fork your own agency, uh, open source policy. What's that?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, one of the developers over at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, um, those of the open source by default policy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, everyone knows I'm a huge fan of these guys. Yeah. Uh, one of their developers took their policy, um, added some uh, kind of explanatory context uh, and some links to additional resources and threw it up on GitHub as a project. Mm. Um, and so it's basically a ready-made kit for agencies who don't have an open source project, uh, open source policy and need one. They can just fork this one from GitHub, um, and make whatever changes are necessary and go to town. Mm. Um, I, I think it's super cool. It's a, a uh, great way to, to empower open source advocates. When you ask somebody to create an open source policy, you're asking lawyers and executives to do a whole bunch of work that is basically elective. They don't have to do it. Yes. Um, so, so the more work you can do for them, uh, the more likely it is that they're going to do what you ask. Um, so having this template policy is just totally indispensable. Um, so, uh, just really nice work.
1: So we, uh, we need to get Matt Mycini to do like a poll request of, and splice in some, uh, Helixson's law verbiage.
0: Oh yeah, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Uh, so, so watch how this segue works, Dave. Um, you know, uh, when you go and visit a, a project on GitHub, you visit their yes. webpage and they'll have a red banner that runs down along the upper right of the screen that says fork me on GitHub. Right. Right. Great advertising, great branding, uh, by the GitHub guys, right. It makes mm-hmm. it really easy for folks to, uh, go find the, go find the source code to whatever the thing is that they're, that they're looking at. Um, So the good people at OpenShift uh, recently did something very similar uh, where a little banner uh, that runs on the upper right diagonal uh, that says, run me on OpenShift. And you click the button and it sends you straight to the web page that will let you start up an OpenShift gear with the application in it. Mm -hmm. So if I'm looking at Adopt-A-Hydrant and playing with that, I can click the red ribbon in Adopt-A-Hydrant and up pops my own version of Adopt-A-Hydrant. Mm. Um, it's kind of like the the runtime version of uh, of forking, uh, uh, like on GitHub. So
1: pretty cool. Nice. That's yeah. cool. That's cool. It is nice. Yeah. So let's talk user interfaces.
0: I would love to talk about user interfaces. What do you, What do you want to talk about?
1: Yeah. So um, there was an article in TechCrunch that's uh, that was pleading for car makers to hire more people like this guy that has developed this user interface for cars. Um, where instead of it being like like you know how like you have a like he was citing rightly the uh the problems with touch screens like whenever you see a touch screen um you you don't know where the buttons are through feel because it 's all just visual and reconfigurable, and so you actually have to take your eyes off the road to find to visually see where a button is to be able to press it. And and so what he did was he came up with some types of gestures and it, and prototyped them using an iPad and did a video on, you know, why his approach is better. So, um, like, if you want to turn the volume up, you touch, like, say, three fingers, and then it creates a circle, and then you can move the three fingers, glide them up and down on the screen, that will turn the volume up. And say, then you put four fingers down, then that'll have like a, a different thing. Like it could change the input or change the radio station and all that. Um, whereas, or, or it could change the um, like the, um, the air conditioning, like turn the fan up or turn your turn, the temperature up or down. Um, but it's like, I read that and I, I saw that and I'm just like, I, to me, I'm not a big fan of things like that. Like, I, I don't know about you, but how, how do you feel about that? Um, like kinda. user interfaces in cars and things. Um,
0: well, I don't know. I, I guess I'm from the school that, uh, I mean, the user interface in a car should be more or less invisible, um, to the extent that that's possible. Um, you know, it, it, nothing drives me more crazy than getting into a strange rental car and finding a bunch of, you know, uh, <laughs> finding like a bunch of knobs and dials and I have to spend five minutes with the car idling, trying to figure out how to turn off the radio. Yep. Um, that stuff drives me crazy. Yes. And that's with kind of physical cues as to what would turn on and off a radio, right? Right. Um, if I had just like a blank sheet in front of me um, and I had any combination of hand gestures that might be able to, to make those change for me, that's no good. Um, yep. Uh, I need a very prescriptive interface. Yes. Um, something that should tell me what to do, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, you want to know what your options are and it's like, oh, mm-hmm. I didn't know there was a CD player in it or whatever. Um, yeah. 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 Because it's like, it doesn't tell you. And the other part for me is like, well, what about people that don't have four fingers or, you know, that are you know, physically disabled and and all that. Um, but, and it also reminds me of, this goes back to when I was in grad school. Uh, I, I did a lot with user interface de- design and, and one of the user interface classes I took, uh, that I really enjoyed the class and that you know, the teacher was talking about a, a property called affordance, um, which is exactly what you were saying. Uh, is like a perfect example of affordance like if you look at the wikipedia article um, is like a tea set you you know what the you could look at a teacup and you could see the handle and you know what the handle is for um, and you know you would be able to do you know what to do with it um, mm-hmm. so it's like i'm i'm a big fan of that and when you map it to like the user interface of a car um, i want to i want to know where the buttons are and i'm you know and also i don't want to take my eyes off the road um, so in both cases, you know, I need to, uh, I, I have to take my eyes off the road. Even if I'm like changing radio stations, I got to look at the screen to see where I'm navigating up or down to cycle through the the radio stations, as opposed to knowing that preset number three is the radio station I want to listen to. And I I can, I can feel with my finger. I you know I could I could take my hand over the dashboard and know where the the buttons are in the car and physically feel them. So. I hate touchscreens in cars. I'm a I'm a button guy. A physical button person myself.
0: Yeah, so uh, on the other hand, having a touchscreen makes it much the car much bunch more flexible for the future, right? Um, they can actually fix interface problems mm-hmm. later um, if they if they choose to, right? So all you need is a software update and now the car can actually behave differently. Yes. Um, but ty- so,
1: typically car manufacturers don't yeah, them. that's true. You know, it's sort of like, oh, you want that? Well, you got to buy the new model next year. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, even with firmware updates, I don't know how aggressive they are with firmware updates for existing radios that have buttons.
0: Well, now, I'm not. I'm not a car guy, but it, it seems like there should be an aftermarket for like uh, for people writing their own software. Like Ford has this whole like uh, the, the the software that goes into Ford's. Um, is actually at least in part open source, right? And they have an API, so you can actually write your own apps for a Ford
1: car, right? Well, that's a, that's interesting. There's have you heard about the the thing with Ford Sync? No. So, so that is that is their connectivity software that was Microsoft based, and okay. now they are going away from Microsoft um, for their Sync technology just because I don't know it was buggy or they're they're having problems with it. Uh, guess who they've uh, chosen?
0: Uh, I don't know who they chosen. BlackBerry, Rim,
1: really? Yes, yes. Because they they, it's, they want it to be QNX based, huh? Which is an embedded Unix like yeah. operating system, which makes sense. Yeah. But with BlackBerry, it's like, do you really want to leave Microsoft for BlackBerry?
0: <laughs> right, right. You know, it's how do you think like, the Microsoft guys feel about that? That's terrible.
1: Oh, I would I would be so crushed. To, you know, it's like. Yeah, I'd be like, is, is it really that bad? <laughs> Come on. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, they just laid off like 6,000 people. Yeah, yeah. And and to me, it's like, I would have been like, boy, didn't, you know, if it was me, I would be like, we're going to do something that's open source that we can control or fork if we need to, and, and we'll have our control. And like, no, we're going to license BlackBerry stuff. That's crazy talk. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, huh. All right. But Adam's a car guy, so he'll probably have some input. In that. Oh yeah, yeah we should yeah we should talk to Adam Claire about that. Yeah. Um,
0: all right. Uh, oh, events, Dave. We actually we got uh, what DevNation right? yep.
1: and Summit coming up. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, what is um, one of your? Uh, th- there was an article that you saw in the the Rel blog that talked mm-hmm. about uh, K Patch, um, yep. and, and that's related to an upcoming Summit session. So, tell us about that.
0: Yeah, so uh, so at Summit this year, there's going to be a talk on Kpatch, uh, which is a way of hot patching uh, kind of a running operating system.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so this is like a phenomenal technology sleight of hand, right? Uh, to actually, this is like changing the tires on a car while it's driving down the road, like yes. that level of difficulty. Um, and so I'm, I'm actually, I read an article about uh, Kpatch, kind of introducing the project um, on the uh, RHEL blog. Uh, but uh, it turns out that there's actually going to be a whole session on it at Summit. Yep. Um, so, Dave, I'm not going to be at Summit this year, but if you would do me the favor of going to that session and reporting back, uh, that would be awesome.
1: Yeah, uh, that's. Uh, I'm. I hope to get into that. Um, a lot of those sessions are just standing room only, fire code violation. But I have a feeling that that could actually be a really popular one because it's. Oh, I have a lot of customers that have asked for that, where it's like you said, you know, you have this. A lot of times, if you you know rebooting is okay, I could take an outage. I've clustered my app so that i could take a node out to service it and all that but there are certain like old school you know unix deployments where they have a certain expectation of oh this thing has to be up for years um mm-hmm. and and this is a great way to have uptime for years um without uh, but still being uh being you know having your system uh fully patched with all the security updates and and things like that like you you know this that, that there are all these a lot of times for like linux boxes or unix boxes people would be sad whenever they have to reboot a system because they took such great pride in the uptime that they had oh um, totally yeah it was it's a macho thing but for a lot of times i'm like wait a minute you've had this linux web server up on the internet for like 5 years and you haven't rebooted it yet and it's like <laughs> you got to wonder you know what what it's vulnerable to um yeah. so this is a great way to for people that have to do that or or they want to have that crazy uptime um you know, it's an option for them that, but it's super brand new. And it's like in Fedora and there's all kind of disclaimers in that article saying, that this is super experimental and, you know, don't, mm-hmm. don't put a stock exchange on this yet and all that. Right.
0: Right. Oh, well, you know, what's interesting is the, uh, I'm glad we're working on it because, uh, well, for no other reason than it, it sounds like a fun piece of technology, right. To be mm-hmm. able to pull this off. But, uh, the world is kind of moving away from this model where you have a web server that cannot cannot ever be rebooted or you have a database that cannot ever be rebooted yep. um, the world is definitely moving out towards uh, rebooting maybe many times a day yes um, and nobody noticing and nobody noticing right yeah. um, so anyway it's interesting um, and also i know dave you probably had the same experience when you talk with customers about Uh, ksplice which is another project which does something similar to kpatch um you talk to customers about it and customer and people will come to it thinking like oh i need that oh that's going to make my life so much easier uh but then when you actually try and plan it out and figure out how you would apply that capability to like to your own data center you realize like oh actually it's utility is actually pretty limited um uh the it sounds like you might, that's something you might want to do, right? Um, patching something without rebooting. But in actual fact, it's actually a lot easier just to reboot sometimes.
1: Yep. Yep. And design for it up front. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, so, oh, and you're, you're going to be talking at the uh, Symantec show,
1: right? Yeah. So the, the Symantec Government Symposium in, uh, in March uh, 11th. I'll, I'll be at that. So I'm excited to uh, – to, I'm on a panel – Um, uh, to talk about how to acquire and implement secure cloud solutions.
0: Oh, fun. Um, Do you know who else is going to be on the panel?
1: Yes, I do. So it's going to be moderated by Mark Ryland, who's the chief uh, solutions architect for uh, AWS.
0: And a super nice guy.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm excited about that. And then uh, we got Gary Galloway, who's the deputy director of the Office of Information Assurance at the State Department. And uh, David Shive, uh, from, uh, he's the, uh, acting associate CIO for corporate systems at the GSA.
0: Oh, cool. That's a nice little panel you got there.
1: Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. And the funny thing is Mark is going to be on my panel at the Red Hat Summit, uh, at the government lunch. So we'll, we'll have to behave ourselves on, on our respective panels, I guess.
0: <laughs> right. Right.
1: That's great. That's great.
0: Um, let's see. Oh, did you hear the news about the uh, National Cybersecurity Excellence Program?
1: Yeah, I saw the release. It came out. What happened?
0: Yeah, so the, so uh, Red Hat signed uh, signed up with uh, NIST um, to work on this kind of uh, uh, this. It's a cooperative agreement um, where Red Hat and Juniper Networks and a bunch of other folks uh, are all working together on developing new security technologies, basically, mm-hmm. um, and so this uh, NIST acts as kind of the convening authority Mm -hmm. um, and people bring them problems and then NIST helps everyone work together to go solve those problems basically. Mm. Um, So it's like a, a, it's a research activity. Um, And so, uh, but I'm actually really happy. It's kind of a, uh, it's rare that we do this at Red Hat uh, where we actually join these, um, you know, this kind of consortia or these uh, these kind of government slash industry groups. Um, and I don't think we do it often enough. And so I'm really happy
1: that we're doing this one. And so, well, yeah. And I, I would say a lot of times we don't join like a lot of like standards bodies and all that because like the open source model sort of minimizes the need to have standards bodies, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think yeah I mean it may minimize the need for some standards bodies, um but I think we definitely have the kind of open source mentality where um we're much more interested in running code than we are in the standards yeah um, and so we're more than happy to work with people who are developing standards through code right through actual working implementations um, but you know some of these standards activities which are um, unmoored from. Uh, the real world and the and the problem that they're trying to solve, mm-hmm. um, uh, those I think are less probably less attractive to us.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. interesting.
0: Yeah, uh, but you know, it is attractive to us and and others. Is 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 OpenStack?
1: Yes, yeah. People so what, love it. What happened there?
0: So uh, we actually got two n- announcements. Uh, both uh, so once on one side, Alcatel-Lucent, and on the other side, Dell, both announced that they're going to be using Red Hat's OpenStack distribution uh, for some networking products that they've got, which nice. is cool. Uh, so they're. A bit, I remember, we talked uh, on a previous show about how a lot of people think about OpenStack as a uh, as a way of delivering computing resources, and they kind of forget about the storage networking part. Right. Um, the in both the Salcatel lucent and Dell announcement, they're actually using the networking part of our OpenStack distribution, yeah, um, which is pretty uh, pretty cool. I thought it was uh, that was great and a nice little endorsement of our of our distribution too.
1: Yeah, and that's I, you know I I don't want to say the software-defined networking sort of uh, uh,
0: yeah. word, but I got through that I got through that whole yeah, NSEP uh, announcement without saying it. the word cybersecurity. So,
1: <laughs> um, but but. Isn't I think the compelling thing there is that being able to swap out by using uh, your networking and having that in written in software allows you to upgrade things a lot faster and better than having like something in firmware that you know you got to swap out over and over and over again. Where Mm -hmm. I, I guess there's this trend of of having you know the software even you know like your routers and stuff like that are less. They're almost general purpose computers doing specific things as opposed to like an embedded system from back in the day. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. So they're a lot more flexible and upgradable and possibly have a longer lifespan. Yeah, totally. Um,
0: let's see. Oh, speaking of storage. Uh, yes. So the so the Red Hat storage server, uh, the next version is out. Yes. Um, which is great news because uh, now Red Hat storage server is, so it's a... It's now a storage provider for both OpenStack mm-hmm. and for Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization. Um, again, we've talked in past shows about how we're the Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization product, which kind of is our answer to like VMware, mm-hmm. um, and then Red Hat, uh, the, the Red Hat Enterprise Linux OpenStack platform. Uh, or the, our OpenStack distribution, um, how they're starting to like mingle because they both solve a lot of the same problems, right? Um, storage, networking, compute. They have a, they manage resources in a different way, um, but kind of at bottom, they're doing a lot of the same stuff. And where they have tasks in common, um, they're uh, they're actually going to be using the same code. Hmm. Um, and so. Uh, here's a great example of this, uh, with this new version of Red Hat storage server, um, you can have the same kind of storage cluster, uh, being kind of interacted with by both Red Hat enterprise, enterprise virtualization and the OpenStack platform, which mm. is pretty cool. Um, and then the, uh, storage console, which is like the fancy, uh, click and drag, uh, UI, uh, that's been in tech preview for, mm-hmm. qu- for some time, uh, that is now officially
1: supported. So I'm looking forward to that. It's and that's, that's the same code base as the Rev GUI as well. It is. That's right. That's a right. A lot we're, of uh, code reuse, which is <laughs> miraculous.
0: It is miraculous. Yeah, we're dragging our engineers kicking and screaming into a common UI over yeah. time. <laughs> um, but, it's, it, you're, but you're right. It's, it is miraculous. Um, and so if folks want to try it out, um, don't think that you have to have a stack of disk drives at home. If you want to try this out, you can actually go to Amazon and do it as a test drive.
1: Um, and, and how much would that da- cost
0: them? Uh, that would cost them zero dollars. That would cost them zero dollars. Um, actually, Dave, do you want to talk a little bit about the test drive program? Because I don't think we've mentioned it on the show before.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, well, the test drive program it lives out on Amazon, and it's just a really nice way for uh, people to do like labs and, and try out products, whether they live on you know. So instead of like you said, having to have all the hardware, and then you got to get a eval subscription and install everything um a lot of times what you really want to do you're not really evaluating you don't want to evaluate the um the installation process as much as you want to actually get your hands on using the thing um so if you could spend more time evaluating it in you know uh, in in the use case um you could get a very quick indication of whether it's useful to you or not so mm-hmm. instead of doing all the the yak shaving of of you know finding the hardware finding the software getting it all installed um, in a matter of seconds, you can, uh, you know, just be able to try out a whole bunch of, uh, of, of different, uh, applications.
0: Yep. Yep, exactly. Um, and so if you, so what do we get with, there's BRMS, John, um, there's a, there's an own cloud demo, right? Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, a whole bunch of stuff. And, and it's nice because our, it's a partners of ours that have put these together. So, uh, Missouri put together the own cloud demo, uh, uh, Shadowsoft uh, put together a, a BRMS uh, or a rules management system demo. Um, yeah, uh, the BPM uh, demo is done by CityTech. Yep. Uh, anyway, really nice to see kind of partnerships, folks working together to uh, make things easier for uh, uh, making things easier for for prospective customers. It's nice.
1: Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah, I I, I really like it too. So what what else do you like? Mm,
0: what else do I like? Oh, amicus briefs. Yeah, like amicus briefs. What's an them, amicus brief? An amicus brief. So uh, when there's a court case, um, often, uh, especially on technical matters, uh, the court uh, may not necessarily have all the information they need uh, from just the defendant and just the plaintiff. And so we have a custom where someone can basically send a bunch of unsolicited advice uh, to the court mm-hmm. um, to help them make the decision. And so those are called amicus briefs. So yep. Amicus, Amicus curiae friend of the court. Yep. Um, and uh, so Red Hat actually filed uh, an amicus uh, in this Supreme Court case that's coming up, which is a big deal uh, on the topic of uh, software patents. Uh, so this Alice versus CLS case, um, where I don't want to get into the details of it, but uh, but at heart, uh, this uh, this amicus brief that Red Hat sent in, Is a wonderful description of, uh, first of all, how software works Mm -hmm. um, and uh, what software's relationship to the patent system should be. Um, So, uh, anyway, it's actually very readable. Um, uh, And so, congratulations to the uh, business affairs folks um, at Red Hat. You guys did a great job.
1: Yes, very nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, And that's, you know, and it's funny when they made the announcement um, internally at Red Hat that we had filed this brief, uh, it's so nice to see people on this on memo list. Right. Which is like the all company mailing list. People were responding, saying, like, how proud they were to work for Red Hat, that, you know, Red Hat would take a stand on this kind of very important social issue uh, and very important legal issue. Um, Anyway, it's it's just funny. It's rare. I think that people are actually proud of their company uh, or legal department. Or, and yeah, that's right. Yeah. Even, even, even less frequently, their legal department.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, uh, so it's just kind of heartwarming to see folks being like being excited about the fact that we were, you know, making this, making this, you know, uh, making this stand. Uh, yeah. it was, it was very nice. Um, uh, and then, so that sentiment was endorsed when I saw the results of this, uh, uh, Forbes, uh, uh what
1: competition rate. Yeah. Rankings. So uh, yeah, this was like totally wandered through one website through another, but, um, so it came out as a Forbes article that analyzed a CRN article that analyzed uh, data from Glassdoor. So it's airtight. It's the <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, telephone game. Um, so yeah, so Glassdoor, I guess, well, it's a website where you know people can go in and you could do like these, I, I guess it's fairly anonymous where people could say that, oh, I have this, I work at this company, I make this amount of money and, and people could know what companies uh you know from a salary standpoint to know whether they're competitive within the company they're working for um as well as you know from an industry standpoint to see if they are on par um but they also do like polls and surveys of well not only is it about money but it's like would you recommend so two of, two of the questions that were part of this article was uh one is would you recommend work, uh somebody else to work at this company um and then the other question was um the percentage of employees who approve of the CEO. And and so it's like Red Hat came in. It was like, I don't know, in the 80s uh, for percentage of employees who would recommend this company to a friend. It was like 85 or 86 or 84 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then for um, the percentage of employees who approve of the CEO was like 96%. Um, I saw that. It's yeah, crazy. Yeah. And compare that and like I rec- I highly encourage people to take a look at the list of companies where it was surprising. There were a lot of companies that are name brand companies that um, some came out way up on the top and some came out way up, uh, down on the bottom um, in terms of. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it says a lot, too, when you do an anonymous survey of how much confidence do you have in your CEO? Mm
0: hmm. <laughs> yeah that's right, and some of those results were very surprising um there were some kind of very high flying very popular um internet startups um and and by the way some some of them competitors to us where the uh people see and even there were some surprising results where people were kind of moderately happy with the c e o but like way down in like the thirties and forties on whether they would recommend the place to a friend
1: yeah uh, and, and for, really especially for for like some of them were like you said were fairly like hot startup sort of things mm-hmm. that it's like, if you're not like, why are you there? If, if, you know, that, <laughs> that's, right. you know, it's like, I could easily imagine it's like, Oh, I'm going to work for some big company and just, you know, wait for my pension and all that. But if you're a startup, you know, you got to have your heart in it. Cause you're usually not making, you know, it's all about equity and, and the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the exit strategy as opposed to, you know, job security. And, you know, I was surprised. Yeah, I
0: think I got the I got the impression that that the people that worked there were basically marking time until they vested, um, and then they were going to leave, um, yeah. which is uh, kind of depressing. Kind
1: but of even depressing, even little. for a startup, you're not vested until somebody buys you. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's all. <laughs> yeah. It could be a lot of marking time, or forever, you know, <laughs> never, you know.
0: Right. Right. Um, well, I guess there's another way of doing that too, which is um, maybe you know, if you're an engineer, you find the engineering problem really interesting, right? Um, but the company that is paying you to work on it may not be that viable, right? And so you may not recommend it to a friend, but you happen to enjoy the work that you are doing. I guess that's another yes. more charitable way of thinking about it, but um, yeah, it was interesting. I, I was very happy with the with the Red Hat results and, and matches totally my experience talking with other Red Hat employees. Um, everyone is so excited to be here. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's a, it's, it's a very rewarding place to work.
1: Yeah. I mean, sure. it's, I think it has a lot to do with the culture and it's not very, uh, Glenn Gary, Glen Ross or a boiler yeah. room sort of, you know, it's, <laughs> right. it's not yeah. that sort of place to work.
0: Yeah. 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 That's right. Um, let's see. And, 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 and also the, the approval rating of 96% that Jim got is bonkers. Yes. Right. Um, you can't even get 96% of people to agree on whether there are UFOs or not.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Or, or it's like, like the inverse is like Congress, you know? Right. (laughs) That's right. Yeah.
0: Um, Yeah. Jim, yeah. Jim's pulling one over Congress in terms of approval ratings right now. (laughs) That's great. Um, And, uh, and speaking of Jim, he had this, uh, he had these productivity tips. He's uh, got a, he put on his life hacker cap um, and, and put this thing up on LinkedIn. I don't, I frankly don't know what our pr people are thinking i mean was this like a pr thing from us or do you think jim just like at random put something up on a, on a linkedin blog
1: yeah i don't know how it works like i don't i don't see the option for me to have a blog on linkedin but maybe it's sort of like oh like he has one or larry ellison or whoever and you know they publish stuff out there of what he wants to talk about, but I thought it was a pretty good article. I don't know. It was.
0: Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Whether, whether we paid for it or not, uh, it was, it was a great article. Uh, And I saw some stuff in there on, uh, he's talking about like how to use your time more effectively um, and how to, and also how to uh, kind of mark time off so that um, you actually can keep a personal life and time with your family um, and at the same time be kind of effective at your job. Um, And I found that stuff, I found that stuff really helpful too. What was your uh, did you have a favorite tip of his?
1: Oh, let's see. Um, you know, I there were a bunch. Like so there were certain things like defaulting to 30-minute meetings. Um, yeah, for sure. In, in fact, I'm I, it's like, you know, talking of New Year's resolutions, I it should be 25-minute meetings.
0: It's so funny you say that because I just made that decision like a week ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, cuz you need because you want, you don't want to mark off more than half hour for the meeting itself, but you also want to give five minutes for transition
1: time. Yeah, you want to you like flush the cash. Um, you know, you want to write down your notes, catch your breath. You may actually have to walk to another floor. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what drives me nuts where you have these calls that it's like, oh, we're going to start at five after because there are people coming from other meetings. Right. And it's like, well, maybe those people should have left five minutes early to, you know, get, you know, I don't know. yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and the other thing that um uh he talked about that I thought was pretty smart too was avoiding work dinners, which is surprising. Um, mm-hmm. especially for a CEO where you could imagine it's like you do a lot of business over dinner. Um, right. where what he does is he recommends doing like breakfast uh things because people tend to have a place to go. Um, you know, it's sort of like, well, you know, so there there's more of a finite end as opposed to uh, you know, Uh, like really long dinners that, Oh, let's order dessert. and oh, let's have a a drink after that. And you know, before you know it, it's like 10 o'clock and it's, yeah. And you can't sustain that. Um, Mm -hmm. especially like, well, for you and me, it's like we need to travel someplace to typically have a dinner meeting. Um, so we have nothing better to do a lot of times. Um, yeah. Whereas if you are, you know, in Raleigh or in Westford or, you know, you're always have uh, the opportunity for a customer, uh, dinner meeting, um i can imagine that could just just totally crush your family life um,
0: yeah I, you know think about this and I, I appreciate this point about the breakfast and i and i like the idea of having some kind of built-in limit to how long the meeting can go that's definitely good yep. um, but uh, i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to advocate for a business brunch yes cuz i'm not an early morning guy um, Really? i think well no i it takes me a while to speed up and and his, uh, historically mornings have been better for, uh, for me kind of, and now we're going to go off on a whole tangent about this, which is, which I think it might be good. Um, mornings for me are good for, uh, kind of focused, uh, kind of singular creative work. Um, so I write most of my like blog posts in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I do a time very effective at like editing in the morning. Um, and then the afternoons, I'm much better at kind of being social and I don't know whether that has to do with like my blood sugar or the light or what, but, um, just over time I found that the morning is just kind of, is I'm much better on my own in the morning. Mm. Um, when I schedule meetings in the morning, um, I stumble over myself. Um, not anywhere near as articulate as I feel like I should be. Uh, my thoughts are a lot fuzzier. Um, so I don't know, maybe like, maybe business meetings are like a different part of the brain than, you know, writing blog posts or something. And, yeah. um, there's a circadian rhythm to it, right?
1: No, uh, you're right. But
0: anyway, that's, yeah. So that's, anyway, that's why, that's why I think, um, uh, business brunch with, uh, you know, so everybody
1: could uh, have eggs and uh, bloody Marys. <laughs> well, and I, I, I guess that that is a tip that is not on his post, but it was all, you know, it, it is a kind of thing. Knowing when your maximum productivity times are are probably a good thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he's written other articles too where you know it's like he will keep track of – he does time tracking to figure out when he's mm-hmm. doing stuff. And I know a lot of people do that. Maybe I need to do that. Um, but knowing – it's like like you said. It's like you know when the sweet spot is for you to write or edit something. So you could probably schedule your time better that way. Um, Whereas you know, it's like in it, in a certain time of the day, you may not be as effective. So it's like if you could if you could change the order of things, you could get more done. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right.
0: Let's um, say uh, one thing that I liked from from his tips, and I've actually adopted it, um, is uh, HBT horizontal by ten. Mm. Um, I really like this uh, because I am terrible at going to bed at a decent hour, um, and so uh, we talked before. I picked up this Fitbit. Yes. Um and I have the Fitbit uh set an alarm a little alarm goes off at 9:45 every night and set just a little reminder like hey you promised yourself that you'd be in bed in 15 minutes um and that's been really useful I won't say that I've been following it religiously but um I find that uh starting my preparation for bed right like brushing my teeth getting changed whatever it is um around 9:45 um definitely gets me to bed earlier um, and it forces me to make a deliberate decision to stay up later. Uh, whereas if I don't have a little reminder, mm. um, I will just kind of stay awake indefinitely until I reach the point of exhaustion. Right. Yes. Um, and I've been like that since I was in high school. Oh yeah. Um, and so I'm trying to like retrain myself to be, you know, going to bed by 10
1: guy. Um, yeah. and it's been, it's been nice. I like it a lot. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Cause I'm, mm-hmm. yeah, for me, it's like, I'm, I'm a night owl and then, I, I get up, I, I'm not an early riser and I'm not very, um, it's, it's really hard for me to get up and, and just mentally in, in the game in the morning. Um, so right. yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I find it, so I, the reason why, the reason why I did it is not just so that I could feel like a farmer, you know, waking up bread eyed, bushy tailed at 6am. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found that it was an important part of my planning for the next day. Right. Because if I wake up late, I don't take the dog for a walk. And that Mm. means I got to squeeze a dog walk in, in between some meeting in the afternoon, right. When it's, you know, when it's less pleasant and, uh, and more difficult, uh, to actually take the walk, take the dog on a decent walk. Um, if I don't wake up early enough in the morning, I don't get any of that writing or editing we were talking about done before the conference calls start. Um, so I find there's, uh, I have to, I do have to go to bed earlier in order to the next day do all the things get all those things done that I wanted to get done. Um, and I, I don't know, I'm going to kind of, I feel kind of very proud of myself for that. It suddenly feels, uh, feels pretty adult to be planning, yeah. you know, more than 24 hours in the future. <laughs> you
1: know? Well, the, the other thing is, uh, being up in the morning and at, you know, at your computer and all that few other people are, so you get a lot less distractions yeah. You know, so so you end up having less email conversations, like almost like instant messaging, sort of back and forth, sort of things. You could you could put mm-hmm. a lot of things in flight, or even not even look at email, um, and sort of like focus on, on like you said, writing or editing and things like that.
0: Well, you know, I've tried to kind of simulate morning before, uh, mm-hmm. where I'll be you know sometime in the afternoon, and I'll turn off the email client, shut off the phone, and kind of you know sequester myself uh, so that I can work on something yeah. and I don't, and my focus just isn't there. Um, and so I don't know what the, I don't know what the magical, again, maybe it's like circadian rhythms or blood sugar or something like that. But, um, the only time I can kind of summon that focus that I need is, is in the morning. It's, it's really interesting. Um, hmm. I wish I could blame it on distractions, but that doesn't seem to be, that doesn't seem to be what it is. Wow. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. So uh, anyway, but back to back to Jim's article. Um, and speaking of CEOs, you also found this uh, article about uh, how to write an email like a CEO.
1: Yes, yes, and and I thought it was great, and it's something that I I, I don't I need to share it with more people. Um, I thought it was really really good. Uh, where um, like a lot of times when people are communicating through email, they put a lot of fluff in. It's almost like you're writing a letter, and for a lot of people that like if you want to communicate with an executive or somebody that's, you know, short on time, they appreciate if you cut the fluff out. Um, you know, you want to be respectful, but you uh, want to try to get to the point. Um, and so in this this uh article, the uh, the guy that wrote it gave an example of like a real fluffy thing and then he like surgically cut it all down and dissected say why you don't want to have this or that, um which I thought was great. And then and um, you know, one of the things that he said was uh one helpful way is to practice emailing a CEO is to uh I'm sorry. One helpful way to practice emailing like a CEO is to pretend your emails have the same character limit as Twitter. The more you practice, <laughs> the more you will sharpen your word choices and save hours per week not answering lengthy emails.
0: That's great. That's I I've heard similar advice, uh yeah. which is uh only respond to emails on a BlackBerry. Yes. Uh, because if you're pounding it out on your thumbs, you're much less likely to, uh, uh, to you know, throw some fluff in. Like you're going to get to the point pretty quick if you have to, you know, knock it out on a tiny little keyboard.
1: Well, yeah. The other thing that he said, too, was that um, if, you know, what you want to do is like, you know, you want to keep it short. Um, and but if a more, you know, it's like you want to send like things that require like a yes, no answer or multiple choice, A, B or C um so somebody could, so the ceo could reply and say hey and boom you're done um but if you need more than uh if a more in-depth uh response is needed um he, he said uh, to uh schedule a 10 minute phone call mm-hmm. you know which i'm um, you know you and i are similar where it's like um just like you know pick up the phone um don't don't do the long email things cuz it's just a waste of time
0: yeah yeah well the it, Although it's interesting because that actually conflicts with, um, especially working at the company we work with, um, especially in engineering, um, they are accustomed to sorting things out over email. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's, and I don't quite know what the rules are, right? I don't know when one is better than another because it's very context dependent. It's very dependent on the question you're trying to answer and very dependent on the people involved. Um, but I know that especially if you're dealing with a lot of engineers, it may in fact be more effective to hash something out over, uh, you know, have this like email war for a while, um, and sort it out that way. Um, and then for another kind of question, another kind of context, another set of people, um, doing it, you know, with a 10 minute phone conversation might be more effective and I'm, I'm, I feel like I have an intuitive sense of when one is better than another, um but I don't think I could actually write down you know a set of principles yep. um that would that would help guide someone one way or another um not know do you have any rules of thumb for that or
1: well it's it's even to the point where it's like do you top post or inline post or bottom post <laughs> or you know heaven forbid you you send an engineer. Um, uh, an HTML email with comic sans is the font, you know, it's just like <laughs> right. you, you, lose all credibility, you know, and, and it's like, oh yeah. my gosh. Um, so it's, it's, I think the whole point between the, with the article and, and possibly the right answer is, is to figure out the best medium to get the answer that you need as fast as possible. And, and, no. you know, so it's like, well, for some people it may not be the phone because they don't answer their phone. Um, maybe it's, mm-hmm. maybe it's IRC, maybe it's email. Um, but you know, it's like, I, I think what you need to do is don't use the tool that's best for you. Do the, use the tool that's best f- for the recipient to get the answer that you need. That's Make right. it easy that's for right. them to respond to you.
0: Now, I remember maybe, maybe we talked about it on the show before. Um, but I think we certainly sent, uh, sent this to each other. There was a, uh, somebody had developed a signaling system that you can stick in your signature at the end of an email that tells people how you would like to be contacted and for what purpose. Uh-huh. Um, and so it basically provide, and it provides like a ranking so that, you know, well, if you need me most urgently, a text message is appropriate and then a phone call and then an email and so on. Um, wow. And, yeah, it was kind of interesting. And so, you could, and so in, every, in every email you send, you are letting people know how you prefer to be contacted.
1: No, I never heard of that that's that's pretty brilliant, actually,
0: yeah, yeah, it is pretty smart. Let me see if I can dig that up and i I'll, I'll stick the link in the show notes. yeah, um, I don't know
1: if people would follow it, you know like again, people will it's like oh, I do email and i'll I'll do that and blast it out right um right, right yeah uh, and the other thing is huh. is timing the emails I found as well oh um, yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, so it's like if. Like if uh like I, I'm reading a book where it, it it talks about well if if you're a CEO and you you know like a CEO does not want to send an email uh like at one in the morning on Friday because that's going to set the culture that nobody is allowed to take time off and they're going to feel obligated that they have to respond. Um, on the other side of the coin, if you're like an individual contributor and you're trying to get the attention of a decision maker sending an email in the middle of the night on friday whenever they come into work possibly on monday it's going to be email 200 that they got to weed through to get to yours and so That's right. one of the things i really like to take advantage of is uh scheduling when emails go out which our email client can do
0: mm-hmm. yep yep send it later um mm-hmm. uh, yeah that, that that is extremely valuable um, and I think just like, you know, the way that, uh, you know, crazy social media people will time when they send out their tweets or do their Facebook posts to ensure that the most people possible read them. Yeah. Um, I think you can, you can do exactly the same thing with email. Um, and again, it's going to be very dependent on the intended recipient. Um, you got to kind of know their habits. Um, like I have, I have definitely done this where I've sent an email to someone Uh, knowing that they will have just come out of a particular meeting and will Mm -hmm. have something on their mind. And I will send the email to them to, you know, hopefully catch them while that thing is on their mind. Um, Yeah, you can go crazy with this stuff. You can go crazy with it. But um, I don't know. But for you, Dave, is it like, do you have, do you feel like in your your mind you have like a fully fleshed out model of all of your interactions and the different means of communication and how you're going to use them? Or you just kind of like... Is it just kind of intuitive? Um, you're just kind of like going with your gut most of the time.
1: Uh, I don't know. I look at it as like a uh, utility belt of of all the different things that I have, and it's like, oh, if I need mm-hmm. to talk to this person, I know that this is the best way to do it. And mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and whether you need to be verbose and all that, and you sort of have to tailor it. Um, yeah, yeah. That it's sense. it's more it's yeah. more instinctive to me. Right.
0: So on the topic of uh, time management, I got yeah. I got one last uh, hint for you. Um, so, do, do you use a Instapaper or a, or Pocket or one of those services? No. Oh, Dave, I don't know what you're doing. You're wasting your time. Yes. I, um, so the <laughs> I'm a huge fan of these. The uh, um, especially going through email in the morning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, often the email is somebody sending me a link that I need to go read. Mm-hmm. Um, so rather than leaving eighteen tabs open in my browser, um, or leaving that email sitting in my inbox, um, taunting me, mm-hmm. um, until I can get around to reading the article. Mm-hmm. Um, I use, uh, I use a service called pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, there are others, Instapaper uh, is another popular one. Um, you, th- it basically, you send it a link um, and it will go and save that article for you to read later. Um, it will actually give you your own copy of that article. Um, it will often strip out advertising mm-hmm. um, and put all the articles into one consistent format. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and so I, it's especially useful for airplanes. Yes. Um, so I will have you know 30 articles queued up. Um, they're all sitting on my tablet, and mm-hmm. when I get up in the airplane, um, even if it doesn't have Wi-Fi, I can go through and do all my reading. Mm-hmm. Um, enormously. uh, I use it all the time. Um, The pocket service I really like because uh, you can even email uh, documents to yourself um, and it will show up on the queue. Um, uh, There's, you know, there's iOS, Android clients. uh, They have a desktop app. Um, Anyway, but one thing that bugs me about this is the reason why the service is free is I am sure my reading habits are being sold to somebody I know not who. Um, and I would love to be able to host a service like this myself. And I just discovered, uh, Wallabag, Hmm. um, which is, uh, which is an open source, basically an open source version of the pocket service, um, which is very cool. So I just saw the link, uh, just the other day. Um, I haven't had a chance to try it out. Um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, if you would like to, uh, integrate this, like read it later
1: service, Mm -hmm. um, into your, uh, into your workflow, uh, Wallabag seems like it might be a good option. Hmm. So, is it like a server thing that you run, and then it, you have an app that talks to it that synchronizes? Exactly.
0: Or? Okay. Yep. yep. Exactly.
1: Yep. yep. So can um, work on OpenShift. That is a great question. And you can get that banner I, I that believe says it, that, "Run me on OpenShift." That's right. That
0: never occurred to me. Maybe I'll. Maybe that. Maybe that'll be a weekend project for yeah. me. Take a look at uh, putting bag yeah.
1: on OpenShift. But I, I haven't. I haven't. You know, I, I know that those services exist but i never use them um because a lot like a lot of times it's like oh i got to read this so i'll like star it and in my email and i'll come back to it later which isn't the best habit because all it does is it creates a lot of noise in your inbox to you know if you're an inbox zero kind of guy um it prevents mm-hmm. you from getting the zero um and but the other thing i'll do is like with the rss readers i'll use i'll i'll star articles and then um, I'll read them later, but I'm typically online. It's it's very rare when I'm not online. And you know, so I I don't really miss it because if if I am disconnected, um, you know, I'm usually doing other things like listening to podcasts or reading a book or something like that. And I, I always mm-hmm. wondered if if you synchronize it with Pocket, does it uh what about links? Like like a lot of times it's like you're reading an article and it'll link off to all this is there some sort of link depth of, of being able to pull down like, you know, so many degrees of, of sure. articles.
0: Yeah. So, so on, it, I can only talk about the pocket service. I don't know how, um, Instapaper works, but, uh, if you are reading a web um, you can, you have the option of hitting a button and opening up that same page in a browser. Mm-hmm. Um, you, if you click on a link in the article, you can click on the link and it will open up that, uh, that, new page in a kind of in-app browser um, in Pocket. And if you like, you can hit the plus sign, and it will then add that second page to your queue as well.
1: Okay, but it doesn't, like, automatically pull down, like, two levels of links or something like mm-hmm. that?
0: No, 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 yeah. no. You have to you have to kind of deliberately add each one. Yeah, Yeah.
1: because I could imagine, like, oh, I'm reading this thing, and it has a link to, like, some big article, and it has a link to something else. And it's like, oh, I want to check that out. And then you click on it, and it's like a, a dead end until you get online again.
0: Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah. That's totally possible.
1: Yeah. That can happen.
0: Um, Cool. I think, uh, I think, okay. I think we uh, ran that down. Um, What do you say, Dave? You want to, you want to get the weekend started?
1: Yeah. So if, if uh, people want to see the list of life hacks and um, all the other good stuff that we talked about, um, if they want to fork their own open source policy, uh, where do they want to (laughs) go?
0: Uh, they want to go to uh, dgshow.org. Uh that's uh Diaz and Dave, G as and Gunner Show.org.
1: Great. Well thanks everybody for listening.
0: Yeah, happy new year, Dave. Yeah, you too.